Well, for the last couple of weeks, if you have been with us, we have been talking about this whole idea of what it means to actually follow Jesus with our money. And what we've discovered is that although this might be an easy thing to say, it is not an easy thing to do because there is something inside all of us that wants to try to separate our financial lives from our spiritual lives. And yet what we've discovered throughout this series is that's not possible um, because money is in fact a spiritual issue and purchases are in fact spiritual decisions. We said that when we do that, when we try to separate these things, um, all that happens is we just end up feeling lost, right? And by lost, I don't mean that we don't have enough money. By lost, I mean we end up just feeling like our, our money is this giant mystery and we ask, you know, okay, where did it go? Right? And why is it, why is it that, um, you know, why is it that I feel so much pressure, right, financially? I'm making more money than I've ever made in my life, and yet, uh, you know, I just feel this constant, constant pressure financially. Why am I so discontent with everything that I have? I mean, my car is newer, my house is bigger, my stuff is shinier, my savings account is larger than it's ever been, and yet I'm just so, I'm just so discontent. And so we've discovered that reality of, of lostness um, with our money. That is, in fact, the reason why Jesus said so much and why Jesus taught so much on the subject of money. It's why we've said every week in this series that it's really not possible, right? It's actually not possible to wholeheartedly be a follower of Jesus and just simply be content with being lost financially. Because to follow Jesus and to be a disciple of Jesus um, means not not only listening to what Jesus says and saying, okay, well, that's interesting, or I'd never thought about that. Um, it means saying, okay, Jesus, um, I know what I think about this, um, but I want to know what you think about this because I'm going to do whatever you think I should do. Jesus, I know how I feel right now, but I want to know how you feel right now, Jesus, because I'm going to actually respond the way that you, Jesus, would respond. That's what it means to be a follower or a disciple. Last week, um, we set an apprentice uh, of Jesus. To follow Jesus means that we actually have to, um, we have to allow him to have influence, right? We have to allow him to have influence in our lives, in our decisions, and with what we do. It's, we said it means to be with Jesus, to live like Jesus, and then to actually do the things that Jesus did. And we said when we try to separate these things, it's, it's not, you know, if we don't follow, if we don't do this, um, if we're not doing this, it's not that God's going to get us, it's not that Jesus is going to get us, um, but we recognize that we are going to continue to feel lost and to feel the experience of being lost when it comes to our finances, no matter how much or how little or what we eventually hope to make. Now, throughout this series each week, um, we've also been giving you, I've been giving you some tools, some practical tools. We'll have a new one for you this week. These are available from our host team afterwards. And, and these are things that, again, have been helpful to me, helpful to our family. And these are tools that I hope will be helpful to you as you um, kind of get unlost and you figure out how to move from where you are to where you want to be. If you're watching online with us right now, you can go to our website right here. You can download these tools. And for those of you who are super nerdy like me, you can also find some spreadsheets um, here at this website where if you want to jump into Excel and uh, get into this at that level, you can do that as well. Now, last week we asked a question. We asked the question, how is it that God actually views uh, our money? And we discovered um, that God actually views all of our money. Right, not just a percentage, but that he actually views all of our money as a tool, as a test, and as a trademark. 
that our money shows, right? What we do with our money, it shows uh, who and whose we, we really are. Um, and so today we're going to ask another question. And this is a question that probably if you're in your 20s, this is probably a question you have never asked yourself. It's a question that if you're in your 30s, this may have occurred to you every once in a while, but then you kind of get on with other things. Um, this is a question that in your 40s, you, you actually begin to think about quite a bit. Um, and the truth is you actually begin to feel, many of us begin to feel some guilt over this question. Um, this is a question that if you're in your 50s, if you have not answered this question, this question can actually perpetuate your experience and your feeling of being lost with your money. And by the time you're in your 60s, if you have an answer to this question, um, that, this question and the answer to this question will actually help you not only move from being lost financially, but actually to a place where you um, can be hugely, hugely sig significant. So um, here's the question that, that I want us to think about and to ask today. Um, right here. Why do I have extra? Right? Why do I have extra? Now, I understand this is probably a question that most of us have not actually asked. Right? Maybe if you have a large income and you know you have a large income, if your uh, employment is such that you get bonuses and maybe those bonuses can be, um, can be variable and so one time you get a larger than expected bonus, you may have asked this question before, um, but then you just kind of like feel guilty and you move on and, and you, you get on to whatever is next. Right? Um, but, but most of us, we never think about this question question. And, and I get it. For most of you right now, even as I'm asking this question, you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Joe, I don't know who you're really talking to right now, because listen, I want, right, I want a whole lot more th than, than I have, right? And, and I get that. Or, or you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, Joe, listen, I, you, I have constant, like, I have constant financial pressure, which, again, I, I understand that. But, but here's the reason why most of us have financial pressure, right? And this is true for, I, I, this is true for 95% of us. The truth is the reason we feel financial pressure is because here is your income and here is your lifestyle and your lifestyle butts up against your income. And every time your lifestyle butts up against your income, you feel pressure. Right now, again, this is true for 95% of us. There's a few people who are outside of this situation, but here, here's what you also know. Listen, if you were to drop your lifestyle by a notch or two, right, you would still be fine, right? In fact, you would probably have extra, and yet your lifestyle and your income, there would be a margin, there would be a gap between these two things. Right? See, why is it, think about it this way, why is it that over the past 10 years, most of us, as our income has moved up, we have been able to raise our lifestyle in accordance with that? Right? Why is that? Right? This is a key question. Right? Now, this is not the question the world actually wants you to ask. The question the world wants you to ask is this question right here, um, why don't I have more? Right? This is the question the world wants you to ask. Why don't I have what they have? Why don't we have what they have? Why don't we live in the neighborhood that they live in? Why don't I have more? Don't be content with what you currently have. Put all of your attention and all on, of your focus onto what you could potentially have one day. This is the question the world wants us to focus on, and the truth is, this is what most of us do focus on, which is why the previous question, why do I have extra, 
that's why that question seems so odd and like why it seems like it does not apply to any one of us. And so for a couple minutes today, I want us to focus on this question and to think about what we presently have and not our future consumption. Now here's why, again, this is such an important question. Because most of us, if you think back over the course of your life, you have had a season of life or you had a stage in life where you had some kind of a financial need, right? Somebody lost a job, somebody had an unexpected child, right? You had a medical crisis, that's our story, something happened with your spouse, right? Most of us can think back to a season of life or an event in life, right, where you were upside down financially. Many of us can remember a season where you not only did not have um, more than you needed, you did not have what you needed, right? And do you remember what you did in that circumstance? Do you remember what you did when that happened to you? It didn't matter if you were in church or out of church, never been to church. It didn't matter if you were following Jesus, not following Jesus. You looked up in the sky and you said, whoever or whatever is up there, help me. Help me. And you asked a question. Why do I not have what I need? Right? Which is actually a very fair question. And so today, I want us to flip that question around, and I want to talk about this side of that question, right? So then why do I have extra? This question may be the question that turns your entire financial world upside down and helps you to gain a brand new perspective on your money and on your finances. This may be the question that God uses to completely orient, reorient the way that you think and the way that you use and the way that you handle your money and your finances. And again, the amazing thing is this. Jesus answers this question and he answers this question head on. And see, for those of you who would say, okay, if I'm honest, Joe, actually, I do think about this um, because I do know, I do recognize that I, I do actually have more um, than most people. In fact, if I'm really honest, um, half the time I give, the reason I give is because I feel guilty for what I have. And so half of the reason I give is just simply to quit feeling guilty because I do have more, right? I do have more than I need. Now, listen, if that's you, Today, that guilt can go away because Jesus answers this question for us and he answers it in a way that applies to all of us. Not simply those of us who hap happen to have a lot more than everybody else, but he answers it in a way to, for all of us who actually have more than what we need. Luke says this in Luke chapter 12. He tells us that one day, right, Jesus is standing around with a crowd of people and somebody yells at Jesus and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Right? So somebody dies and somebody leaves some, some bodies, some money, and one of the some bodies is not happy with what it is that they were getting. And so Jesus responds to that individual and says to him and says, Okay, who? Right? Who appointed me judge or arbitrator between you? In other words, okay, this is none of, my, none of my business. But then notice in the story, Jesus kind of pivots and he looks at the rest of the crowd of people who are following him at this point. And Jesus says to all of them, he says, listen, watch out, right? Watch out and be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And it's like, okay, wait a minute, time out, Jesus. What do you mean greed? 
right? This is just somebody who didn't get their, their fair share. And, and now, Jesus, you're calling that greed? Right, then Luke tells us, right, Jesus begins to tell his audience a story. And in this story, Jesus defines greed for us. Now, again, here's why this matters. Because greed is very, very difficult to actually see in the mirror, right? There's all kinds of things that I can see in the mirror. I can see jealousy. I can see anger, right? I, I can see self-control issues, right? There's all kinds of things that I can see in the mirror and that you can see in the mirror. Greed is very, very hard to see in the, in the mirror. And... When we think of greed, right, the picture that we get is, you know, some guy who's locked up in his basement counting his pile of gold, right? Nobody does that, right? Or, or we think of some woman who's, you know, locked up at home with her cats and her jewelry and her stacks of cash, right, just staring at all of it. But see, nobody does that, right? Nobody does that. That's not what Jesus is calling greed. That's not what he means by greed. Instead, Jesus tells us that there are, in fact, all kinds of greed— and all kinds of greed are actually very, very subtle. And Jesus is going to tell us that greed always leads to worry. Greed always leads to discontentment. And greed always leads, always, always leads to wanting more. Right? No matter how many zeros you tack on to the end. Most financial worry. Right? Most financial hardship, most financial grief, most financial conflict in your marriage, in your relationship, most of that is over not wanting what we can't have as opposed to not need having what it is that we actually need. Out of all the people I've talked to over the years about money, I've never had anyone say to me, okay, Joe, I think I know what's wrong with my situation with my money. I'm just greedy. Right? Because nobody sees greed in the mirror. And that's why Jesus says we need to watch out because this is very, very subtle. And we need to be on our guard. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement, um, which you've probably heard before. And he says this. He says, listen, a person's life does not consist in an abundance of their possessions. Right? Life does not consist of what you own, which all of us understand intellectually. But Jesus is actually pointing us towards something emotionally. Now, greed, he says, he's going to explain. This is how, how greed works. This is how subtle it is. He tells a story. He says, the ground of a certain rich man. Right Now, a rich man is a person who has more than they need. Right, A rich man is a person who has an abundance. A rich person is a person who has extra. Right, The ground of a certain rich man, he says, produced an abundant harvest, right? So where there was a rich guy, and he expected a certain income from his crop, but he got a much better than expected income from his crop. This is what Jesus is saying. This is a guy who had extra, but now he has extra, extra, right? This is a guy who had an abundance, but now he has an abundance of an abundance, right? And apparently this rich guy had a problem because his barns were just big enough to store an average crop but not a better-than-average crop. And so he has a problem, right? And our hearts go out to him. They really do because he's just got so much stuff, right? He's got so much stuff. And so he thinks to himself, right, what shall I do, right? Oh, no, what shall I do? I have extra, extra. I have no place to store my crops. And so 
As you listen to this story, you begin to discover that the people in Jesus' audience were thinking much of what you and I are thinking as we hear this story. Listen, um, I have a solution for your problem. If you have so much stuff, like just look around, right? Just look around. There's plenty of people who would be willing to help you with your problem. But again, remember, it's hard to see greed in the mirror, right? We can see greed in his mirror, but he can't see greed in his own mirror. Because listen, he assumed about his stuff the same thing that I assume about my stuff and what you assume about your stuff. That when I have extra, right, it's for me, right? If I have extra, obviously it's for me. And so now my basement's full, and so now I need a bigger basement, and now my house is full. And so obviously, right, obviously I need a bigger house. And so he said to himself, self, what shall I do, right? I have a problem. What shall I do? And then Jesus tells us he comes up with an answer, and he says, I know what I'll do. And do you know what he did? He did exactly what he's always done. What shall I do? I have extra. What shall I do? I have more than I need. I know what I'll do. I'll do exactly what I've always done. The more money you have does not mean that you're going to change anything. You will continue to do exactly what you are currently doing. Right? That's why if you're in your 20s right now and you can get this, what we're talking about in this series, and you can get a handle on this, you're, by the time you're in your 50s, you're going to be so much better off than so many other people in our world. But see, this guy, he just does what he's always done because he assumed what he always assumed. If it comes to me, it must be for me. And the fact that he had more, don't miss this, did not make him generous. It just made him richer. And so he says to himself, I know what I'll do. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain and my goods. And we think to ourselves, good plan right? Way to go. Obviously, this guy should write a book. Obviously, this guy should go on the talk show circuit, right? Because he's the goal. He was wealthy, and he got wealthier. He was rich, and he got richer, right? This is the guy, right, that we want to emulate, right? I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain and my goods, and I will say to myself, self, listen, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years so you can take life easy. You can eat and drink and be merry. Right? You've done the smart thing. You planned for the future. Way to go. Right? Golf clap. Way to go. Way to go. But the problem, as we're about to discover, is he just did not plan out far enough into his future. That there was, in fact, a fatal flaw in his thinking. And his fatal flaw was simply this. Listen, if I have X number of years worth of stuff, then that must also mean that the, I therefore have X number of years of life. Because apparently, my life is the equivalent of my stuff. Right? And of course, you know that's not true when you hear it. Right? But it's what he thought. It's what oftentimes we think. That the extra is for me right? That's what we think. The abundance is for me. 
See, his problem, like don't miss this, his problem wasn't that he was rich. That's not the issue. The problem is that he did not know why he was rich. Now, for many of us, right, many of us, if you could you know, think back to yourself for a second, if you just kind of put this to a side, if you could think back 20, 30, 40 years ago for some of you, right, and if your current self could tell that younger self how much money your current self is making in today's world, right, 20, 30, 40 years later, your previous self would be thinking, oh my goodness, right, oh my goodness, if I ever make that much money, I will be set, like I will be debt-free, I will be worry-free, and yet the truth is, for many of us, here we are 20, 30, 40 years later from some of us, and we are making that much income, and yet we still have worry, and yet we still have debt, and yet we're still, not discon we're still discontent with what it is that we have. We're still worried about money. Why? Because we just keep doing what we've always done. And see, this guy is thinking, right, I'm set. I'm set. I have plenty to take care of me for the rest of my life. But God, in the parable, says to this man, you fool. You fool. Listen, not for being rich, for being confused, right? And we want to say, wait a minute, I thought he was the goal. No, God says, listen, you fool. You fool, this very night, right, this very night, your life will be demanded of you. And then we find out that Jesus in the story asks this guy a question, right? It, this very night, he says, your life will be demanded from you. And so Jesus says, okay, um, and by asking this, this pretend guy this question, um, Jesus asks all of us real people this question. And so the question that Jesus asks is this, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Right? And the answer is somebody else. Right? But not because you're generous, not because you made a decision, right? Not because of you thought you thought of somebody else. No, simply because you're dead. And see, just as the farmer in this story, right, I mean, just as the farmer in the story had no control over the prosperity of his crop, just as he had no control over the wind or the rain or the locust or the sunshine, just as he had no control over any of those things, he also had no control over the number of years that he was given. And so consequently, he made three fatal assumptions. Listen, he assumed that he was the source of all of his extra, and he assumed that the extra was for him. And then finally, he assumed on top of all of that, that somehow an abundance of stuff equated to an abundance of years. But he was wrong on all three accounts. And then, right, this is so brilliant, Jesus steps out of the parable Right? And he looks right into your eyes and he looks right into my eyes. And then Jesus says to us, right, us real people, he looks at us and he says, this is how it will be. Right? Future tense. This is how it will be. Right? And what is this? This is total loss 
right? This is, you have nothing to show for everything that came your way because you hoarded it all and you put it away for your future consumption. You have nothing to show for yourself for everything that came your way because, listen, you hoarded it all and you stored it away because, why? You were worried. You were worried about what? The future. This is how it will be, Jesus says, for everyone, for whoever, that's you and that's me, whoever is, stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Right? You say, what does rich towards God mean? Is that your prayer life? No. Does rich toward God mean going to church every week? No. Does rich towards God mean that, that you serve, that you help in your community, that you volunteer? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. Actually, in verse 33, just a couple of verses later, Jesus defines for us in the same chapter of Luke of what it actually means to be rich towards God. To be rich towards God means that you give what you don't need to those who are in need. That when you're actually blessed with something more than you need, that is for the sake of those who are in need. That it's not all about me. Right? Jesus actually defines this for us very clearly. Now, I just want you to imagine for a second. Right? I want you to imagine for a second. I want you to think, if this had been the way that you had thought about and used and pictured your finances for the last 10 years, right? how different would your financial picture be right now? Right? What if every time you got extra, you simply thought to yourself, okay, Heavenly Father, we got extra. So what are we going to do with it? And, and listen, I understand because I live in the same world that you do. And every time I get extra, it's spent before I can even get the extra to the bank. I understand that. Okay, I get that. But what if for all of us, what if we actually did what Jesus is talking about here? And when we got extra, we said to ourselves, okay, Heavenly Father, if you've given this extra to me, chances are there's someone in need that needs some of this extra. So what do you want me to do with it? Now, he, here's why this is so important. When, we, when this happens, when we start to realize this, right? this is finally when lifestyle and income start to separate a little bit. Right, when we start asking our Heavenly Father about our extra, this is finally when lifestyle quits chasing income and we develop margin. Right, this is huge. Let, let, me, um, let me explain it this way. Put this in the most simple terms I can think of. Does anybody here like chocolate chip cookies? Show of hands, please. Please, uh, yes, someone who likes chocolate chip cookies. Melissa? Would you, I'm not going to throw anything at you this time, I promise. Would you come up here? Yes. Okay, come up here. Come on up. I know. Come on up. So everybody, this is my friend Melissa. She's going to help me. She, now, to be fair, Melissa did not know that she was going to help me today. No, so this is, so... Now, I, now, oh, don't they cool. smell great? Oh my goodness! I, I, I baked. Autumn, did you make those? Autumn baked oh these. They and they are, they are very good. Now, here's what's so strange about this. Like I love chocolate chip cookies, 
And Melissa loves chocolate chip yeah, cookies. Like, when do I, I know. Get a bite? Well, I know because but these are mine, <laughs> right? Which is kind of weird because I have two and Melissa has none. But Melissa loves chocolate chip cookies, right? And they're good. Yeah, hell yeah. There's some Autumn knows how to make some good chocolate chip cookies. Now, when you were a kid, and you know, if you had a little brother or a sister, right, and, and if you had two of something, right, and your parents they would look at you and they would like speak one word to you. What was that word? Do you remember? If you if they if you had two and the other one had none, and they would you would they your parents would look at you and they would say what? Share. Share. Or if you were little, if you were little and you had like a bunch, you know, a friend come over and you had like 10 toys for you, right, and your friend had none, right, your parent would look at you and they would say what? Share. Share. Now, and see, Melissa loves chocolate chip cookies, <laughs> right? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to pray for me with her. Um, Lord, I pray, would you please, because Melissa has needs, right? And she needs a chocolate chip cookie. And so I'm just wondering, Lord, if you could bring somebody into her life Aww. that could give her a chocolate chip cookie. Aww. Amen. 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 Now, now, see, the reason it was so hard for your parents, right, when you had two, because it's just, if you're a parent, it's just tough, isn't it? I mean, like to look at someone who has two of something and someone who has none of something. And if you know the person who has none, like wants or likes or needs the thing that you have two of, it's just hard, isn't it? And can you imagine being God and looking out into the whole world and being able to see everybody who has two chocolate chip cookies and at the very same time, everybody who has none? I mean, what, what do you think? that God would say. I mean, this is what we talked about last week, right? When you, when, you, when you understand how God sees the world that we live in, then it's easier to understand what God would say to us, to you, right? Not, not out of guilt, right? Not as a command, not, not because he's trying to, to force something from you, right? Would God say in this situation, hey, just make sure that, you know, your lifestyle catches up to your income because you don't, you don't want to miss out. Right, and I probably should save one of these for later, because I'm going to be hungry later this afternoon. Right? I mean, what do you, what do you think God would say? Share. Share. Yeah. Not out of guilt. Not out of out of uh, feeling embarrassed that I have more. Right? Not for any of those things. Right? But simply. Why did your parents want you to share, right? Just simply out of saying thank you to them for what they had provided to you. Just out of gratitude, not out of guilt, right? And so, Melissa, I'm going to give the one that I didn't eat from to you. Thank you. Thank you for playing along. It was fun. <laughs> it was the best. I can share it with my sister. You can. You can. <laughs> Okay, so this is why, right now, this is why, right? This is why you hear me say, and why we talk about all the time, you hear me talk about these three words, right? Give, save, live on the rest, right? Be rich towards God, and then be rich towards yourself, right? And then live on what's left over. Listen, this prioritization 
is what fights against and controls and holds back invisible greed. Right? Greed that every single one of us has inside of us. This prioritization is what keeps invisible greed in check. And this is what creates margin. This is what prevents lifestyle from constantly butting up against income. Because see, what we discover in, in this parable, when Jesus defines greed, here's how Jesus defines greed. Greed, he would say, um, is anybody who has a lot, anybody who has a medium amount, anybody who has a small amount and who assumes that everything that comes to them is for them. Right? That's Jesus' definition of, of, of greed. And, and Jesus says, listen, if you don't, if you don't get a, a handle on this, right, your future Total loss, right? Total loss, right? Because in the end, somebody else is going to get everything that you've uh, assumed and acquired and consumed and set aside for yourself. Not because you were generous, but because you're dead. So, here's Jesus' point. If one day it's all going to be taken away, then why in the world would we miss the opportunity to actually give it away? Now, I'm not asking you for anything, okay? I'm not asking you for anything. I just want you to think about this, and I want you to think about what it would actually mean to live this way. Because, see, understand this. Generous people understand that ownership is a myth, and generous people understand that consumption always leads to discontentment and worry. And see, some of you have understood this, and this is how you've used and handled your money for years, right, for years. And so this is a review for you. Others of you, however, um, this is brand new, right, and this is brand new for a couple of reasons. Either you're new, um, or if you're honest, you've just never really thought about what it means to actually follow Jesus with your money. And now you've begun to realize that you can't really be, you cannot wholeheartedly be a follower of Jesus and not do with your money what Jesus commands all of us as followers to do with our money. And others of you are still a little skeptical. And you're just sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, nice cookie thing, Joe, but Jesus just wants our money. I know, I know that's what this is about. No, he doesn't. Jesus never asked anybody for any money. Right? I told you that in the first week. In fact, Jesus is the one who says this. Listen, Jesus knew that you actually owed a debt that you couldn't pay. And so Jesus was the one who decided to pay a debt for you that he didn't owe. That's what Jesus did. That's the gospel. Jesus knew you owed a debt that you could not pay. And so Jesus decided to pay that debt which he did not owe for you. That's how he feels about you. That's what he wants for you. Jesus actually wants you to have a life where you experience joy and freedom and peace. And see, what Jesus understands is that more money is not going to get you any of this. But how you use it will. 
So today, once again, on your way out, our host team has a brand new tool for you. If you'd like to get that tool from our host team, if you have missed the last couple of weeks and you're here with us um, in Troy, then you can pick up those other tools from our host team as well. Those of you who are online, you can get all three tools plus the Excel sheets from our, our, uh, our website. And once again, as always, I've got three questions for you um, that I really hope that you will ask and answer for yourself, honestly. And if you're super daring and bold, perhaps you'll even have this conversation with a friend or with your spouse. Here's the questions. Why is it so hard to actually see greed in the mirror? This is a tough one. What's the line between saving and hoarding? And then based on Jesus' teaching, do you feel, this is just about you and this is about right now, not past you, not future you, just be honest about you right now. Do you feel like right now today you are actually using your money in a way that reflects the idea of being rich towards God? Let me pray for you today. Heavenly Father, thank you that um, for all of us, no matter what we think about you, no matter how we have, uh, no matter how we would consider or, or what we would consider our connection or our relationship with you, uh, but Father, thank you for always putting us first in, in your kingdom. Jesus, thank you for putting us first by offering to pay a debt that we owed before we even ever asked you to, to do that. Jesus, you did that. We didn't ask you to do it. You just loved us, and so you did it. And so, Jesus, as we continue to talk about money and finances, um, Jesus, I just pray that that reality of what you have done, that that would be um, the umbrella over which we hear all of this, that we read all of your commands and all your words. And, Father, I pray that whether or not this has been uh, something that we've done for years personally, um, that we wouldn't just let this sit on autopilot, because maybe, maybe what it meant 10 years ago is no longer what it means today. Maybe I've just gotten comfortable because I've made the numbers work. And, and, and Father, if I'm honest, I'm not asking you what I'm doing with my extra because it's just become a routine. It's just become a, a program. It's just become a thing I do. And so, Father, my prayer for all of us is that we would really think about what it is, Jesus, that you have given us, what you have blessed us with, that we would not take this lightly because, Jesus, you did not take this lightly. And, Father, for every single person who is here right now, who's watching right now, and, Father, they are either literally or figuratively, they are on their knees right now because they have a need. And they are saying, Father, why do I not have what I need? I pray that as your church, Jesus, our hearts would always be soft to that. That we would not expect you to fulfill a need that you've put us here to fulfill. That as a church, we would always be generous with those around us simply because you were generous with us. And Father, I pray that as we sing this next song, as we close our time together today, as we sing the words of this song, that these words would be a prayer, that they would be a reminder, that no matter what it is that we want or need, 
or struggle for in this present moment, that Jesus, you, and you alone, are the one who fulfills all that we need. And so, Jesus, we pray and we ask all of this in your name. Amen.